Welcome to Wavelengths, a podcast with Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband Solutions podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We appreciate you joining us for some broadband and telecom industry thought leadership. As we explore today's topic and technologies, make sure that you're subscribing to Wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations as well as notifications when we drop new ones. And also make sure you're going to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, amphenolbroadband.com for more information on some of the tech and trends you'll hear about today and also for more Amphenol Broadband content, including podcasts, videos, articles, and more. So on today's episode of Wavelengths, we're peering into the telecom industry's crystal ball and we're predicting the future of connectivity networks, their technologies, breaking down some challenges and solutions, and predicting some broader industry impacts. But more specifically, we're getting an update on global 5G rollout, implementation, and installations and then using this to frame 5G's future impact. So, here to give us some more insights is Senior VP of Amphenol and recently inducted into the Cable TV Hall of Fame, Mr. Zach Rayleigh, who's bringing more than 25 years of telecom experience to our conversation today. Zach Rayleigh, great to have you on. How are you doing? Great. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the time and uh, look forward to joining the discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. Real pleasure getting to chat. Looking forward to pulling from your deep experience in the space and getting a real lay of the land for how far along we are in 5G rollout, uh, what some of the opportunities and barriers are, how this is happening at a global scale, and what we can expect moving forward. So I want to start with that 25 years in telecom. That's a long career in this industry. How does the 5G rollout compare to some other generations of network improvements that you've worked through over the years and you've seen take hold? Sure. You know, 5G really is a sea change of a number of technologies that are going to become inherent in the communication space. And I think the best way for uh, those that are not familiar with it to contemplate what 5G means, it essentially is creating um, a massive wide-scale, very low-latency network that will connect um, more devices uh, than there are people on the planet. And there are some industry estimates that, you know, talk about the interconnectedness of 25 to 40 billion devices, obviously with the planet population being much lower than that. Um, It really is going to be a network of communications that will be very much all uh, IP-based that really will interface with every aspect of uh, everyone's daily life, Um, whether it be in business, whether it be in education, whether it be in uh, farming, whether it be in the automobile. It's just going to be a ubiquitous network that really takes us to the next level of communications and, and the interconnectedness of many, many things. And if we look at 5G rollout, at least here in the U.S., uh, and use that as, I guess, a metric for how far along we are, we can see that T-Mobile holds the largest and the most robust 5G network in the U.S. So for a little more context there, uh, most of the U.S. already has T-Mobile extended range 5G, uh, and a few dense urban pockets get to boast ultra-capacity 5G. 
So as Verizon and AT&T, the other major players here, expand their own coverage as the big three players, and then uh, with the merger of Sprint and T-Mobile, that brought Dish Network into the picture, and they're still in the long-term process of developing their own infrastructure. How does all of this pose competition around 5G rollout? And based on how far along 5G is for T-Mobile and the other players, do you think they have a chance at matching T-Mobile's reach anytime soon? So I think there would have to be really that that true definition of 5G to answer that uh, really expressly. But you know, T-Mobile certainly has a timing advantage and a bit of a spectrum advantage uh, over some of the other players. Uh, their their uh, you know low band mid band spectrum for 5G was just better optimized uh, with what they picked up in the Sprint acquisition. Um, and of course, you know, depending on which industry publication you read or, or which uh, company publication uh, or presentation you read, right, there's lots of arguments about who has the most 5G. But, you know, the reality is that 5G really is very nascent in the U.S. And by nascent, it's not necessarily uh, nearly as ubiquitous as 4G or 4G uh, enhanced um, I would say that, you know, if you had to sort of ballpark the footprint of coverage of 5G in the U.S. Uh, in the aggregate, including uh, the big players in the space, uh, it probably only covers uh, effectively about 25 percent of the national footprint. So there's a lot that still has to be done. Um, you know, it is uh, probably more in the marketing stage in terms of the people that actually uh, are connecting to a 5G, a true 5G network. And, you know, there, there's a lot of uh, still ground to cover, I would say, in terms of that, uh, that 5G rollout. Um, certainly with the most recent uh, auctions in C-band, um, where both AT&T and Verizon picked up um, a, a lot of debt, certainly, and, and quite a bit of spectrum, you know, that, that is going to enhance this 5G rollout much more aggressively. Um, you mentioned uh, in the question, you know, the, the sort of the dense urban areas, ultra capacity, um, you know, that that we can talk a little bit about uh, later in terms of the spectrum utilization. But, you know, the, the dense urban areas, uh, I think if you think about the impact of COVID, right, if I'm a wireless operator and, you know, New York City has been a ghost town and, you know, San Francisco has been a ghost town and all of these major metropolitan areas where a lot of the population really exited during COVID, um, you know, there was a bit of a pause, I think, in the in the deployment profile. So, I would say that, you know, yes, T-Mobile certainly has a bit of a lead on this, but you'll see uh, Verizon and AT&T really aggressively going out uh, with their builds over the next couple of years. Uh, the new players like Dish Networks are, are extremely aggressive in their rollout plans. So all of this competition in 5G is really going to start getting significant here uh, over the next uh, bit of time. And look, I, the reality is, right, um, as 5G develops, maybe Timo takes a little bit from Verizon and then Verizon takes a bit from Timo and AT&T takes a bit from, from, uh, every, you know, from whoever else and Dish comes in and takes a few more subscribers. So there's going to be a lot of back and forth over the next number of years as that 5G network really gets built out. Yeah, and I'm definitely going to be keeping my ear to the ground to see whether or not that timing advantage from T-Mobile is really going to give them... Uh, an overall differentiator in the long term. And we're going to get into some of the different types of spectrum that you've already expanded on a bit, but uh, you know, using that as a point of contention as well for potential competition in the space. Before we do that, though, uh, you know, once the major players all do have comparable 5G speeds and coverage, because I think it's pretty fair to say that at least those big three and then eventually Dish will probably all have a significant 5G footprint. Uh, so once they're all kind of on the same playing field, 
where do you think the key differentiators and quality of solution will be? And how do you think this competition will then shape future technical innovation and rollouts in 5G? Sure. I, you know, it, I would maybe hearken back a little bit to um, the 4G uh, transition when we went from 3G to 4G. And that that really was, you know, what will be the killer app at the consumer level? This is not necessarily at the enterprise or the industrial level, but certainly at the consumer level, right? What is going to be the key killer app that drives utilization on 5G? As I mentioned earlier, 5G latency, which is the, the speed at which you can connect uh, and communicate over the internet, uh, and certainly then uh, the speed of communication to the handset, uh, in this case mostly, it will, you know, obviously wearables and other type of applications could be in the space, but really, you know, what is going to be that, that killer app that drives the need for faster communication and certainly more speed? So, I envision this as really, you know, the fastest low latency network that allows people to, you know, in three to five years have a handset that is, you know, on par with today's generations of gaming devices, certainly, you know, very dense 4K video streams, uh, all of the over, to over the top transmission of video to the handset. Um, I think all of that is going to be very much um, connected to success for the operators in terms of that differentiator. So I think the, the lowest latency, fastest network will probably enable the next generation of high-speed killer app. And that high-speed killer app is still a little bit yet to be, I think, described. But, you know, if you can envision today that the handset will probably um, be able to throughput as much content as sort of, say, an Xbox or a PlayStation does today in the next two to three years, that hooks into a virtual or an augmented reality headset, right? You're going to need a really solid connection for people to be able to use that. So that 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 network that provides that type of service, right? That you know, back in the 3G world, when you drive down the road and you don't have your, your call drops out, you know, you, people get frustrated. I, I think it really is going to be uh, the robustness of the network that allows for for a much bigger transition to uh, to some of those higher use type of applications. So. Uh, I think the differentiator will certainly be um, that on the network and which network can perform the best, which has the, you know, the, the fastest speed, the lowest latency, the least amount of dropout, um, the least amount of packet loss. And then I think, you know, I, and as always a question, right, price and uh, how much you eat at the buffet, right? I mean, if you think of yourself as a consumer, uh, if you paid 50 bucks a month and you got an all-you-can-eat buffet on data that was really fast, really low latency, it allowed you to use your you know, next generation Oculus headset with your phone to go out and do whatever you want on, on sort of an augmented reality platform, you know, you probably as a consumer will want that. Um, so I think there will be some price uh, that comes into this and either price or, you know, the, the lack of data capping. I think data capping will be a major, major differentiator here as time goes on. So that, that'll, that'll drive, I think, some of that, uh, who, who will have the most successful uh, experience uh, as a as a supplier, so to speak, on 5G, um, and then this competition, you know, for me is really going to drive lots of innovation. If you think about what 4G did for us as a as a consumer in the North American market, certainly, um, you know, all of that access to new applications, whether that be you know Twitter, Snapchat, Facebook, video, uh, YouTube videos, TikTok, right, all of that stuff was built off of the ability of that 4G network to really work. 
Um, so what will it shape the next uh, technical innovation profile? I think part of that is going to be very much uh, dependent on what that killer app is. But I personally believe that the interface to virtual augmented reality is going to be a huge part of that. And, and there's lots of different iterations of what that could look like. But, you know, all of that will require quite a bit of uh, quite a bit of connectivity and, and that uh, high speed, low latency type of network that will uh, will happen in the space. Expanding on some of the different spectrum options for 5G, and you kind of mentioned this earlier, it's hard to answer questions about, you know, how can XYZ company compete against XYZ other company with their 5G offerings without identifying that there are different levels of 5G that are being rolled out all simultaneously, and they all provide different use cases and are being leveraged differently in the rollout. So I want to break those down more. There's three key types of spectrum right now that are being uh, utilized. We've got low band and that's uh, 5G for long distances usually. There's millimeter wave spectrum. That's going to give supercharged speed, but for considerably shorter distances than low band. And then there's a mid-band spectrum, which right now T-Mobile is really maximizing its scale, and they're one of the few that are doing that in the U.S. And this is supposed to be a compromise of distance and speed. So with these three key types of spectrum... Uh, do you think that these three will continue to make up a larger 5G ecosystem of various types of 5G spectrum? Or as 5G deployments get more robust, do you think one spectrum will take over most of the data flow for any particular reason? So I, I it's a great question. Uh, I think that that certainly all of those types of spectrum will be continued and will be continued to be used in 5G. So, you know, the reality is that, yes, T-Mobile has uh, a, certainly a bit of a lead in the mid-band, but with the recent C-band auction, uh, certainly T-Mobile or certainly AT&T and Verizon will begin, you know, their, their sort of approach in the mid-band space. They already have quite a bit of low band, um, but that's going to give them that, that really positioning on the mid-band for higher speed uh, and not quite as much distance as, you know, uh, for example, a 600 megahertz uh, uh, signal might be. So anything that's over that, that three gig area, 2.5 to three gig area, uh, gigahertz, I should say, um, that, that will be used for that mid band. And, you know, the, the reality of low band, uh, it still can be very serviceable. Um, not obviously as high speed, but, you know, low band is going to be when you're driving across uh, Kansas on I-70, you know, probably not going to have a millimeter wave spectrum that does much for you. But, you know, will it provide enough bandwidth for what you need to do uh, for the self-drive car vehicle, that type of thing? Yeah, it probably will be very effective for that. So there is a lot of, I think, use case scenario for each of those spectrums. Um, I do think that, you know, millimeter wave tends to probably be much more applicable uh, in a suburban and urban environment. Uh, the transmission is very sensitive to any sort of blocking in the way. I mean, you can literally uh, look at, at cases uh, and certainly uh, other YouTube videos that have been made available online of testing data where, you know, you can stand under a millimeter wave antenna from one of the providers, um, get an incredibly fast signal, walk 50 feet down the street where there's a tree and the leaves dissipate the millimeter wave signal and your speed drops in you know half if not if not three quarters so it's a very sensitive spectrum but you know for certain high bandwidth urban environments where you can get better line of sight um, certainly that'll be uh, certainly that'll be possible so i think all three bands will continue to be very much part of that larger ecosystem they almost have to be um, and all of that, I, I think, will sort of gel into what 5G will really be. So you will have, you know, variable speed in 5G where, you know, your low band will not nearly be as high as what you get in millimeter wave. But 
mid-band spectrum will provide better throughput, better latency than you would get certainly in the low band. But all of those will sort of aggregate into uh, a faster experience than what we have today. So uh, I, I don't see that really shifting and changing anytime soon. I think that everyone will continue to invest in that uh, and all of those frequencies as they try to build this out for uh, for certain use cases and in certain you know certain environments uh, that they exist, whether they be you know very rural environments, whether they be suburban, whether they be urban. As we continue to weigh these various spectrums and rollouts from different companies and in just different areas across the U.S., what would you say are some of the most exciting business prospects of 5G connectivity as it does become more accessible? And uh, if you wanted to get more specific, which industries stand to benefit in really holistic ways and why? Yeah, I, I would honestly say that there will not be an industry that is not impacted by 5G connectivity. And, uh, you know, the, the, the use cases are so broad and so substantial that I, I would struggle to probably say that there would be um, an industry that does not have an impact by it, that is not impacted by this. So, you know, it, it is becoming uh, a real focus for lots of industries. All of the major carriers have you know, enterprise and industrial uh, engagement teams that are talking about putting, for example, um, 5G uh, interconnectivity in highly robotic factories, putting 5G in mining operations, putting 5G in hospitals. And, and so I, I think that there really would be very few, if any, industries or, or even, you know, organizations that would not be impacted by this. So, you know, frankly, I, I do think that, um, you know, it, it is going to be probably a, a very broad uh, and very ubiquitous type of impact profile. And, you know, you can almost sit back and say, you know, you would have to probably say what things would not be impacted by 5G and, and start with a very small list. And, you know, I have a very difficult time coming up with what that would be. I mean, let me let me use a simple example. Right. So uh, in, in the Pacific Northwest in the spring, uh, there is a large number of people that go out and uh, collect wild mushrooms. Those wild mushrooms are used in culinary, very high-end restaurants. Uh, they're very hard to find. Um, I could see an environment where literally the person or people that go out to collect these mushrooms are feeding real-time data back to the restaurateur and bidding online in an auction format as they are in the middle of the forest. And so, you know, rather than packing these mushrooms up, putting them in a bag and taking them on the road to go sell to restaurants, right? So it is, I, I for me personally, I just don't see that there is not going to be every aspect in, uh, of our lives and industry that's not going to be impacted by this network. It is just that transformative. And the more you read about it, the more you think about it, uh, it becomes that that ubiquity of interconnectedness that I think we we got a bit of in 4G and, and we will see expand much more dramatically in terms of uh, the 5G impact. So could spend probably all day on every use case you could think of there, but it is going to be pretty dramatic across uh, almost every aspect of, of the world that, that, that we live in today. And what's exciting about 5G and potentially also a bit of a headache is that it enables a lot of IoT launches at scale. Not that IoT isn't already maximizing 4G and, you know, just Wi-Fi connectivity, uh, but the uh, wholesale rollout of 5G will definitely see an increase in very robust, smart integrations. And so as more companies take advantage of 5G and as more end users do as well, what kind of 
user experience connectivity expectation do you think this is going to build in conjunction with some of those other IoT technologies? And how do you think this will shape or maybe place some pressure on 5G rollouts and the expectation for how the connectivity should work and to what degree it should enable uh, you know, that next level of connectivity? Sure. Uh, you know, I, I would maybe again harken back to the 4G world, right? And, and uh, every single time, uh, and this applies to 3G as well, but every single time we have gone through a generational change in the uh, wireless connectivity space, um, the consumer always, and, and there's just no data that speaks to the contrary, the consumer, and whether that be a, a consumer like you or I, whether that be an enterprise consumer, whether that be an industrial consumer, uh, the consumer always finds a way to use more data. And that is just the trend that we have seen. Um, the technology uh, as well pipes more and more data into uh, the devices that would be connected to this network. So my expectation, you know, is where where today on average you see utilization uh, at the consumer level, let's just say, of 25 to 40 gigabits um, a month is kind of an average normal utilization profile uh, across the U.S. today. If if you take you know you know sort of the major averages, um, that's going to probably double or triple, and you know that's going to be where your wearable device on your wrist is is connecting to that 5G network. It's feeding real-time health data back to the hospital, to your doctor, your physician, your clinic. Uh, it's monitoring your blood sugar levels. It's monitoring your oxygen saturation. Uh, it's advising your physician when something looks wrong. Um, you know, it's detecting potential, you know, new pathogen outbreaks. You know, there's just that this connectivity is just going to be in everything that we have. Um, and I think because of that, you know, that that is going to push uh, a lot of pressure on these networks to, you know, just continue to add capacity. So, you know, it's a it's a multiplexing up of the utilization uh, and the use cases of utilization of the network. Um, and I, I think that will place some pressure on it as it starts to get built out. But, you know, it will also, uh, I think, require a lot of investment in the space for, for many years to come. So, you know, it is a very uh, it is a very strong um, expectation, I think, that people will have as you start to use it. Uh, you know, I think, you know, maybe maybe just to, to put it in context, right? Um, if you as a consumer, your uh, connection on your phone, your data connection, not your voice connection, if your data connection on your phone stops functioning for 20 minutes, it literally is life-changing. Like, you can't do what you have expected to do, whether that's check Google Maps, whether that's, you know, get on OpenTable to book a reservation, whether that's shop for, you know, groceries delivered to your home. So, you know, that expectation will be very, very high and, and it will be much broader because it will be many more devices that are going to be connected to this network. And, you know, that will that will shape expansion, that will shape the need to continually invest in the networks and certainly in certain cases put pressure on this network. So uh, that will will definitely be an interesting, uh, an interesting uh, dynamic as we come into this. But uh, just back to that original statement of, you know, not not just, you know, millions and millions of devices connected, but, you know, tens of billions of, of devices connected uh, to that network. You know, that changes the dynamic um, and it changes the expectation of us as a consumer, whether we be, you know, at the consumer level, the, the enterprise level or the industrial level to uh, to connect to that network. I want to intersect your experience in the space into the conversation a little more granularly again. Uh, you have a lot of experience in international telecom deployments as well. 
Uh, for some context to our audience, you began your path in the industry with sales management in Asia, and then over the years have participated in many industry events based out of Asia, but more specifically based out of Japan over the last 25 years. So if we hone into Japan to get a bit of that global context, right now they have three main players leading the 5G charge, NTT Docomo, KDDI, and SoftBank. And they all launched their 5G networks almost days apart. It was literally one after the other after the other in a matter of three to five days in uh, March of 2020. So since then, it's been about a year, how are 5G rollouts shaping up in Japan compared to in the United States? And what learning lessons can we take from how they've maneuvered integration and any bandwidth challenges uh, for as you know, we continue to uh, maneuver our own? Sure. So in Japan specifically, um, I would probably rank them behind the United States in terms of how, how broad those networks have been deployed. They are starting to do some initial 5G rollouts, uh, but actually in comparison to uh, what we are seeing, particularly in the U.S. and in China, um, you know, Japan's a little bit behind in terms of timing. I would say, you know, anywhere from six to 12 months. So Japan is, is certainly... Um, an interesting case, you know, that if you look at the average uh, price the Japanese consumer pays for 4G service, it's dramatically lower than the U.S. And by dramatically, um, it, it's anywhere from uh, 40 to 70 percent cheaper for a comparable uh, data plan slash voice plan in Japan on 4G than it is in the U.S. So the economics are a bit different there. Certainly the densities are very high in, in the major Japanese cities. Um, but it is a very different economic environment. So they are they are slower to, to deploy it um, just because of, I think, that economic differential, um, which is very similar in Europe. Again, the European cost of uh, connectivity is, is much lower than it is in the U.S. Um, so it, it does have uh, it does have a driver, I think, economically as to you know, how fast the Japanese will deploy those networks. Um, but that being said, what's interesting is uh, aside from the companies you mentioned, NTT, KDDI and SoftBank, um, Rakuten, which is a Japanese uh, analog to Amazon, uh, is launching its own 5G network, but on a very different type of platform. So Rakuten is going to be uh, deploying what they call an open RAN network, which is essentially a, a, for lack of a better word, a white box type of network that uses uh, common components and, and common software um, that will be much less expensive to deploy than you know other closed type networks that you see from some of the other major OEMs in the space uh, from an equipment standpoint. So Rakuten is going to really drive a, a very different model there. So that that will be interesting to see how that open RAN, that open network type structure develops uh, in Japan over time, which would, you know, which implies kind of a lower cost network deployment uh, and potentially a, a bit of a change there to the economics that might exist. So, you know, I, I think there's, there really, it's hard to say, um, you know, how we learn from those challenges on that, on that build out, because it is a little bit slower than what we've uh, seen in some other markets, but clearly Japan, you know, will be, you know, one of the top three players in the 5G rollout space. Uh, it may take a little more time for that to get going, but, you know, if you, if you look at who is really focused on 5G deployment now across the globe. Uh, clearly, it's the US, China and Japan. They're, they're the ones that will be uh, definitely leading the pack. Uh, and we'll probably have a lot to learn as that starts to coalesce. And, you know, we see some uh, we see some uh, hard and concrete uh, developments coming out of that uh, out of that particular rollout. And let's look over at China as well. Uh, I wish I had some more information here to tee you up. But, um, you know, it's safe to say China is uh, Definitely trying to make its technological 
dependence on uh, you know U.S. supply chains uh, less so. Uh, we've seen that over the years, and I think part of that is going to be developing and launching a lot of their own proprietary uh, 5G networks uh, and trying to do everything from um, designing to manufacturing and integrating that uh, within a you know Chinese only uh manufacturing hub and supply chain so with that in mind how are we seeing 5g rollouts impact uh the chinese market and are there any learning lessons for what has worked or hasn't worked there that we can also take to our budding industry here in the u.s sure you know it's an interesting dynamic and and you know irrespective of some of the trade tensions that uh, exist uh, currently with china that you know we 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 have had uh, the back and forth on over certainly the last number of years between the governments, you know, it has really shifted the dynamic um, from one of more of a global type of uh, platform rollout for 5G to one that tends to be more insular. And by that, I mean, you know, with all of the restrictions, with the tariffs, with the technology transfer restrictions that have been put in place uh, going into China, um, it they have really had to shift gears. And by that, you know, whether it's from the silicon, that is to say the processors, the power amplifiers, all of that board level um, silicon that goes into building a 5G network to, you know, all of the uh, equipment that goes into the site that enables 5G. China's having to really do, you know, find their own path. They're not allowed to use um, silicon from a Broadcom, from a Qualcomm, from an NGX. It's It's been very restricted. So I think that you'll see China really home grow its own 5G. Um, they have very big companies that are providing hardware uh, for that, that are indigenous to China. Um, but I do think you'll see some variation in terms of what that technology looks like, just because of the fact that the technology really has been clamped down uh, in terms of what we have uh, here on the U.S. side and supply side that could be going to China. So what does that mean? Um, I think it means that China will uh, very aggressively develop its own 5G network. Uh, they will be very... Um, aggressive in putting their 5G uh, supply base in place and, and growing that to, to be a, a very much a, a homegrown type of structure without reliance on exterior supply. Um, it will certainly follow still some of that 5G sort of basic precepts uh, in terms of the technology, but it will be, you know, they'll have their own variant of that. And that's going to be interesting to see how it develops and what they are able to do certainly in terms of that network deployment. Um, you know, they, China is very aggressive at expanding into this. They're, they're you know, pushing uh, very hard uh, for their own indigenous uh, equipment manufacturers to come up to speed. Uh, and I think ultimately they will. So, you know, we'll, it'll create a divergence. And then separately, what does that really mean for the rest of the world? I think China will partner with certain parts of the world very effectively. Um, they will continue to, uh, to expand their, their flavor and certainly their equipment base of 5G um, across uh, certain uh, certain national uh, nationalities and environments, um, and, and that'll be interesting to see as well as it sort of competes with uh, the U.S. slash European version of 5G. So uh, it, it is going to be a, a bit of a horse race there, I think, for some time. Um, but I think that you know ultimately, uh, you know, China will uh, you know if not lead 5G, uh, they will be at the forefront of 5G development just because they they recognize the benefits of the of the network. They recognize the need to have that and to be a technological leader in the space. So, uh, you know, it will, uh, it will, it's a very different environment than it was, uh, you know, four to five years ago. So that's going to be an interesting development to watch and see what happens as they really start to deploy their 5G networks across China. So taking all of that into account and weighing some of the impacts of 5G on 
businesses, on end users, etc. I feel like sometimes the domino effects of something like 5G, of a total network overhaul, are kind of hard to visualize beyond some of the immediate improvements to data speed and the business cases for, yes, this speed will create efficiency in this way. Sometimes there are a few things, you know, three or four dominoes down the line that uh, can also be incredibly impactful, but that are harder to see on first glance. So do you have any surprising use cases that really uh, illustrate the scope of 5G's impact and how domino effects start to build on each other and create a total transformation. Sure, you know, uh, maybe just to, to go to sort of a very a very baseline type of use case and by baseline, you know, something that would not be, you know, normally what you'd think about, right? When you think about streaming Netflix in 4K, you know, that's kind of an obvious use case, right? But but there are some that I think are very unique. And I'll use an example on, on some projects that we worked on uh, with some of our customers on a, on a 5G testbed. Uh, and this actually was enabling a very interlinked 5G system for a hog farm. And this hog farm was set up where the 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 farm structure and the and and our one of our big uh, telecommunications partners uh, provided this built out an entirely censored network system for a hog farm and they had uh, multiple drones that were always in uh, in in flight monitoring where the hogs were in pens where they were in you know in in loading docks where they were in feed site feed stations. Uh, they were monitoring uh, temperatures across all of both animal as well as feed uh, areas. Uh, they were looking at, um, you know, water discharge and, you know, what the effluent water uh, quality was coming out of the hog pens. Uh, they were monitoring, uh, you know, almost real time um, food intake and weight of the hogs. So if you think about uh, all of all of the things you would need to raise an animal right and raise an animal from you know from small to large uh, whether that be you know temperature in the pens whether that be the f the amount of food going into the pens measuring you know the quality of water going into the pens measuring uh you know data where you know you're you're looking at uh, the hogs from a bird's eye view making sure that you know you don't have uh, don't have some getting out you don't have some you know creating problems with other ones uh, it was just a really overlaid system of both sensors uh, and visual monitoring that you would never think about before. And so, you know, it, it really can touch many of these aspects where, you know, literally the, the farm that, that uh, they deployed this on, there was a network operations center that the farmer was using every day, day in, day out to monitor all of those things I just mentioned and more. I mean, I'm not covering everything they were doing, uh, but certainly every aspect um, of raising that animal uh, as a business was uh, was really networked into this entire 5G structure. So, you know, you think about something as simple as, as you know, well, it's not simple because it is hard work. And, you know, doing that is certainly something that takes a lot of knowledge and, and expertise. But, you know, something as simple as a farm um, can, can really benefit from all of these impacts of 5G. Uh, and, and I think be able to, to really start thinking about that ubiquity of use case that you know could could apply even to the most uh, the most simple of things that we might think about not a netflix and not a self-driving car and you know not a self-driving uh, excavator at a construction site um but really just you know into the basics so you know it is an example i think of how broad this network could potentially be and, and how it's going to just touch every aspect of, of our lives here uh, you know certainly in north america and across the planet Zach, I really appreciate your insights so far. And as we wrap up the conversation, what I want to do is 
intersect Amphenol a little bit more and uh, get a lay of the land for how your company is playing into this 5G rollout and some of the ways that you're trying to stay ahead of the trends and be a uh, you know a major player in new integrations. So what do you see as Amphenol's central role in helping craft this 5G future? And what role uh, are players like Amphenol, in your opinion, needing to play to support 5G? Sure. So, you know, we, we're in a very unique position from an Amphenol perspective. We, you know, we're the largest manufacturer of small form factor antennas that go into wearables and handsets. Uh, that, that, that antenna that goes into the device that you hold in your hand and you use every day, uh, that's what's enabling that communication path. And, you know, that, that communication path, you know, goes from the phone uh, over the wireless airwaves, over radio frequency to the devices that, uh, you know, receive and transmit that signal. Uh, we're very deeply embedded in all of those devices from both the RF side, but as well the high speed side and into the power side uh, that enable the radios that will uh, allow 5G to, to connect. Uh, yeah. At those sites that transmit, we build all the cables that carry the signals, whether they be optical or RF, and, and into uh, the enclosures. Uh, we, we build all of the physical enclosures that hold the equipment um, that provides that signal and that connects to the optical backbone network that goes into the data centers. In the data centers, we provide all the interconnectivity and the high density racks and frames, uh, as well as transmission devices, um, you know, optical transceivers that that move that data around. So, you know, we are very deep in the network on all aspects from, you know, the point where you as a consumer are receiving a signal at your handset uh, to, you know, all the way back to the data center where all of those ones and zeros are moving around in optical transmission to uh, to get that data back to uh, where it needs to go. So we're, we're really very deep in that. And then separately, you know, all of the sensors that go into that 5G world, um, you know, whether they're, you know, temperature sensors, speed sensors, uh, pressure sensors, all the stuff that you're utilizing to measure that data, um, you know, uh, humidity sensors in a washer dryer, all that stuff, you know, we're really playing to enable all of these different use cases that come up in that space, whether it be in the consumer's home, whether it be in an enterprise, you know, building setting, whether it be in industry, whether it be in farming. So we, we really have uh, just a broad range of, uh, you know, end point applications and products that fit into that 5G world that connects everything. So it is a, I think we're in a very unique space for that. Uh, and, you know, I think it, it, I would be remiss to say that in a 5G network, there won't be something uh, that doesn't touch an Amphenol product on a daily basis. It would just, we, we're so broad in the sense that we cover all of those two potential use cases and we have all the products that fit into that. Uh, it'll be just a very broad footprint in, in electronics. Um, and this is all enabled by electronics. And, you know, we're one of the largest players in electronic uh, interconnect and sensing that, uh, that exists on the planet today. So really uh, puts us in the forefront in a lot of ways to uh, to be able to be a part of crafting that 5G future. As we continue to look ahead, even with the wide coverage we already see from you know, T-Mobile's 5G and um, coming expansion from Verizon and AT&T, what challenges to widespread adoption still exist? Anything from infrastructure to regulatory issues to uh, you know, market challenges, supply chain challenges, whatever you're seeing that's still impacting widespread adoption. And then with that, what kind of impact is this then having on the utility of 5G and where does Amphenol fit in trying to overcome any of these issues? Sure. I think, you know, the, the widespread adoption really is, you know, how broadly the network can get built and how quickly it can get built. 
you know, it is still a very physical process to put equipment out in the field and to have the teams of contractors uh, at the service provider level that have to do this. So, you know, it, it's really a speed of deployment, I think, you know, will we'll somewhat uh, gate the widespread adoption. Um, you know, the, the handsets and the chipsets are already available from the manufacturers uh, to be able to deploy this at the consumer level. Um, you know, there's always a, a question of, you know, how much of this COVID world we've lived in for, you know, the past uh, past bit of time um, has impacted that deployment. Uh, but I do think that, you know, once those networks are really start to get deployed on a broader scale, um, you know, I, I don't I don't think it's an adoption of the 5G technology. It's more just getting the network built. Uh, once the network's built, you know, the, the equipment will uh, will flow in terms of both the devices as well as, you know, what will enable for example, the smart factory of the future, um, and that'll that'll really happen. I, I don't see that there will be any reticence to the adoption of five G. Uh, certainly, there's there's been you know a lot of rhetoric bouncing around in, in areas where five G is you know people think five G is bad and it's evil and it's causing all these negative things. But the reality is that that just is not the case. And you know the reality of five G is something that. Uh, it is it is a safe platform for telecommunications. It is one that will be uh, adopted very broadly as the network gets built out. And uh, I think that it will be uh, something that we see over time, um, you know, really replacing that 4G network. And, you know, I think two to three years down the road, uh, you know, you won't know a person who doesn't have a 5G connection. It just that's just where we're going to be. So uh, I think it's more just getting that network built and, you know, getting uh, getting the hands uh, getting the devices and and the 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 utility applications and all of the enabled uh, all the enabled equipment out into the field to take advantage of the network. All right, Zach, we're going to close the conversation with a final hot take. So get opinionated with me here. What's your biggest and boldest prediction about the impact of five G moving forward, and why? Uh, so my biggest prediction and boldest prediction on five G is that. Uh, I, I think it will be something that will touch every aspect of our lives at every minute of the day. Um, it is so broad. It is so uh, scope uh, delimited in terms of what it can do and what it can connect to, uh, that it will just be uh, a part of everything we do as we go forward. And that that is a that's a very broad and bold prediction. But the reality is that they're just, you know, I wouldn't say obviously you couldn't say that there's an infinite number of use, use cases, uh, but I would say there's a Googleplex of use cases that clearly will allow just things to happen that we've not even envisioned today on a network uh, that is truly optimized for the next few decades. Uh, and that will be uh, something that, that really impacts every aspect of our daily lives as a consumer. Uh, that impacts every aspect of, of our daily lives in business. That impacts uh, every aspect of our daily lives, uh, you know, in uh, in everything we do. So uh, I know that's a broad and, and very, uh, you know, wide scope. But I just I just have, I think back to what we talked about earlier. Uh, I have a very difficult time not thinking of something or thinking of something where 5G couldn't have an impact. I just can't come up with it. And I've thought about it a lot. So I really do think it is going to be something that just touches every aspect of, of everyday life that people uh, people don't even think about today. I love the big picture analysis, and uh, I think I'm going to have to agree there. I think as we look at 5G and the way that different industries are preparing for its use, it really signals that most every industry is beginning to identify, yes, 5G is going to be beneficial to uh, my operations. 
And I think end users aren't going to pass up 5G connectivity, especially at a a cost-effective price point. So with all of that in mind, I think we are going to continue to see 5G proliferated uh, at a scale that maybe folks didn't even expect. And as we maneuver that, we're going to continue our conversations and continue to judge the state of 5G's rollout, where the opportunities are, where it's suffering, and what Amphenol can do to help fill the gap there. Thank you so much, Zach, for your insights today. It's really been a pleasure. Again, we've been chatting with Zach Raley. He's Senior Vice President at Amphenol. He was also recently inducted to the Cable TV Hall of Fame, 25 years in the industry. Zach, it's really been a pleasure today. Thank you. Great, Daniel. Thanks so much. Appreciate your time. And real quick, before we close out, if folks want to find out more about how Amphenol is supporting 5G rollout, learn more about your tech, or just get in touch, how can they do so? Uh, Sure. You can look at our website, uh, www.amphenol.com. We have uh, a number of aspect points to 5G that you can learn about and really drill into all the application specific solutions that we've got in the space. I encourage people to have a look at that and uh, certainly can uh, go to to that area and and learn a little bit more about what touches uh, this next generation of the communications network. Perfect. Zach Raley, thank you again for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband Solutions podcast. If you like what you heard and want to listen to previous episodes, make sure that you're heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, amphenolbroadband.com. And make sure that you're subscribing to Wavelengths on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. Till next time.